For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to Japers Week Radio. I'm your uh, host, Greg Young, and I'm happy to be joined by uh, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. Uh, Greg, I talked to six random swing voters today, and they all said that you should come. So, uh, you know, I'm glad to, <laughs> glad to have you on. Uh, how are you doing today? That's fantastic. Now, are these the same swing voters that you usually uh, talk to when uh, uh, evaluating guests? You just keep coming back and back to them, and you say that they're swing voters and they're actually... Uh, partisan Capitals fans? Well, you know, I mean, look, maybe one of them went to, I believe, 23 Capitals games. But <laughs> who's to know, right? I mean, how could that, you know, that would be ridiculous. Um, okay, so to kind of get started here a little bit, um, I was going to ask about the RFA market. Um, and one of the things that as Caps fans, pretty much the only RFA that we had was Vrana, who got a two-year deal for a little over $3 million. And, uh a lot of the RFA market at this point has kind of, you know, a lot of the big dominoes have fallen. Marner just got signed a week or two ago. And the big news today being Patrick Laine getting uh, in the mid six millions uh, with for a two year deal. So I was going to kind of ask you this. Do you think it was good that the Capitals were able to get the Verona deal done early? And how much has the RFA market changed kind of since, you know, early May when the Caps were able to get that deal done? Yeah, it was very smart. Um, I would say the market changed uh, the minute uh, Timo Meyer signed with the San Jose Sharks. That was really the first contract that we saw out of all of these where the last year of the deal was exponentially higher than the, uh, than the the first year of the deal, kind of ending on a high note. So the qualifying offer on the next contract would have to be just as high. And I think that sort of template uh, for a contract uh, bled over to some of the other deals that we've seen, these bridge deals that we've seen. So while everybody was kind of waiting for a Mitch Marner to reset the market, 
it kind of played out the way that I heard it might from some executives this summer, which is that the Marner contract was seen as its own animal. I mean, it was something where he wasn't even using any of the normal comparable players in his negotiation. He was simply pointing at Austin Matthews and saying, I want that. And uh, it it worked out for him, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it worked out for him, but it it wasn't something that reset the, the market in the way that I think a lot of people thought it might. Everybody kind of did their own thing. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the old phrase is all politics are local. Well, all contracts are local. You know, the Braden Point contract had to be what it was to fit him into the uh, lightning cap. The Line A contract had to be what it was because it was, you know, seen to be the, the perfect sort of bridge deal for a team that didn't exactly trust him yet and a player that was coming off a pretty mediocre season by his standards. So all these things are sort of playing out in their own ways. Um, but you know, the template I think was set by Meyer and the capture smart to get in a, a, before that happened. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, it, it seems like, like we said, a lot of the big dominoes kind of fell and it, you know, I guess we all, we all sometimes forget with the Marner drama that, you know, the teams just have a lot of control in the RFA market, you know, or they, you know, unless there is, you know, this magical offer sheet, which we did get one. And I know that you had a perhaps, uh, somewhat minority view on the, on the, uh, merits of the Aho, uh, the Aho offer sheet by the Habs, but you know it, it's, it does seem like you know the teams are still kind of executing a lot of their leverage, and as long as these offer sheets don't start really rolling in in mass, you know these contracts are always going to kind of be slanted to the team a little bit. Yeah, I had no problem with it. I mean, I, I know a lot of people are like, "Why bother if you're not going to get the guy?" But in my opinion, like you, you shoot your shot yeah. if you have the ability to. You know, um, obviously the deal wasn't going to be a high enough uh, cap hit or or whatever to entice the Carolina Hurricanes to not match it. I mean, I think what they were hoping was that the front-loading of the contract and the structure of the contract to bring it right up to unrestricted free agency might make it less palatable for them to, to match it. But obviously they did. And, and if the thought was that uh, Tom Dundon was going to be cheap about these sort of things, they were miscalculating on that as well. But, you know, I, I, I want to see offer sheets every summer. I want to see 10 of them. I mean, I don't, I don't care if, it, if none of them work out. Um, I don't think there's any shame in that happening. It's almost like saying you shouldn't try to go sign an unrestricted free agent. If you don't get them, like shoot your shot, yeah, man. Why like, not? Like, you know, like, like all the, all those people that sat in a room with John Tavares before he signed with the Fraternal Maple Leafs, what are they going to do? You know, save, save the jet fuel. Like you, you take a chance. It doesn't work out. You move on with life. And it didn't end up costing the Canadians anything other than maybe some uh, grief from other general managers for having done it. Um, at the end of the day, it, it at least makes it look like Mark Bergevin's doing some work. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me ask you real quick about that. So obviously a lot of the, you know, the Twitter seer, you know, for what it's worth was kind of making fun of the Habs for doing that. Do you think a lot, there also seemed to be a lot of kind of critique about general, from general managers about why would someone do this? Yada, yada. Do you think there's possibly some self-interest there and that they're concerned about their own player getting offer sheeted? Or do you think that, yeah, just, you know, that was where the perception was? No, there's always some concern about what what kind of offer sheets might come their way as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, no general manager really wants to see their person offer sheeted because it's going to end up, you know, most times with the guy getting a contract that they didn't want really want to really want to give out. I mean, that was the hassle of the Ajo thing is that if the, the Carolina Hurricanes were going to do it, they might have arrived around that same cap number for him. I think they're pretty happy about that, but they certainly weren't going to structure the contract where it walks them right up to unrestricted free agency. So it becomes a bit of a hassle, you know, more than anything yeah. else. And, and uh, you know, it, it takes the negotiation out of your hands. Um, 
and it and ends up pissing off general managers. It probably ends up uh, pissing off general managers towards agents that choose to uh, to take that uh, that that avenue with their their clients. Um, but at the end of the day, the the thing about offer sheets that people have to always remember is that you got to sign one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing with, you know, with what happened with Braden Point in Tampa, where everybody's like, why on earth would you take that cap hit? Why on earth would you take that contract? There's so many other avenues where you can go through to, you know, pump up your number and sign an offer sheet and force them to pay you. Well, you know, he didn't want to sign. I mean, God forbid, yeah. the, he, you know, he signs with a team uh, that uh, the, t- the Lightning, for whatever reason, don't decide to match. Well, now you've just signed yourself off a, a team that could potentially win the cup. Yeah. You know, well, Greg, I don't seasons. know. Did you hear that Florida doesn't have a have, have an income tax? That <laughs> might have been broken to you by a couple of people on Twitter. That too, yeah. But I mean, you know, so it, it takes it, it takes these guys to want to want to sign one to upset the apple cart with their own team, and then potentially, you know, pave the way for them to to leave the franchise, which is not what all these guys want to do. Yeah. All right. Um. So I, I'm putting this off a little, but uh. I do have to ask you uh, as a capital fan about what happened with Evgeny Kuznetsov. Um, uh, it's like he had the uh, you know positive cocaine test over the summer and uh, was suspended three games by Gary Bettman for I believe it being dishonest to the league. I think is technically their rationale because I don't actually know if they can or can't suspend him for the positive cocaine test. So, kind of your thoughts on Kuznetsov and. You know, a lot of the buzz, and the Capitals reporters have been pretty consistent that the team doesn't really, the cocaine thing, it's unclear, you know, if that affected his play in the regular season or not. You know, he obviously didn't have the most consistent of years. So, at the same time, it does seem like he has something to prove, no? So, kind of wondering, you know, what your thoughts are on the whole Kuznetsov mess for the Capitals. Yeah, I mean, like many people pointed out, uh, you know, if, if doing a little blow is a, is a capital offense in the National Hockey League, you're going to have half the league suspended yes. <laughs> during the season. Yeah. Um, a lot his, of, a his, lot of rich white kids with too much money. Right. Yeah, precisely. And, and uh, his, his problem. And I think, you know, this is why Batman ultimately suspended him is he was just dumb about it. Like, you know, yeah. don't film yourself to, or have yourself filmed in a room where there's lines of cocaine on the table. Uh, and don't get caught doing it when you're at the world championships, when you're kind of off site at somebody else's event. And, uh, and then you get a positive test there. I mean, he was just dumb about it, and yeah. and I think that the the league, you know, has there is a clause in the CBA. I don't think that this is necessarily the way they went with it, but there is a clause where you know the commissioner can take action against anybody who who you know basically has behavior that's detrimental to the league. It's sort of a wide ranging power the commissioner has. So you know, the, the fact that he was dumb about it, I think, warranted a suspension, um, even if at you know what he did and essentially what he used is not exactly. Uh, a rarity amongst NHL players uh, during the season or in the off season. Yeah. Do you think there's any hope that, you know, he could kind of have a bounce back year? I know as a capital fan, uh, we kind of did a little bit of a, you know, rink wrap on him. And the thing that was very striking, you know, you talk to people around the team is that his defensive play pretty heavily deteriorated last year's. And you know, I think he put up, you know, kind of the points that you, you know, on the low end of what you might expect. So you know, do you think that this he's due for a bounce back year? Do you think, or do you think that this is maybe just who Kuznetsov is at this point, like kind of maddeningly inconsistent center? <laughs> well, now you're playing into the Russian stereotype. I guess right? that's true. <laughs> Sheesh, what is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I, I think I, I mean, I would hope that he that he has a bounce back year in him only because, you know, there's a pretty significant amount of contract time and money tied up in this guy until 2025. Yep. Uh, I do think it's interesting, though, that if, if the numbers bear out that it was a defensive deficiency that really, you know, set his game back. I mean, I don't think you can divorce that with what happened behind the bench where you go from one of the better defensive coaches in the NHL to Tyred Reardon. And then all of a sudden, one of your guys defensive game seems to kind of fall apart when that happens so yeah. you know it's it's maybe just kind of drawing conclusions based on that no that's fair but, that's uh, fair that's but i don't fair. think it's necessarily the the craziest notion to think that there may be a a down step in defensive prowess when you go from barry trotz to todd reardon yeah i mean so i was gonna ask you about this later but i'll sound not like uh good you know as good of a time as now to any to ask this um is Todd Reardon a good coach? Do we know yet? You know, I think it's one of the hardest things as admittedly somewhat of a layman to really know exactly how good an NHL coach is or isn't. But, you know, I'm kind of curious, you know, do, do you think he's a good coach? Does the league, you know, or do we just not know yet? Um, I, I mean, I tend to think the jury's still out. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a real tough spot to be yeah. in when you replace somebody who won uh, when you're taking over a team, you know, that just won. There's always going to be a little bit of a hangover. But, I mean, bottom line is that uh, from an, an offensive standpoint, I think the team was right where it should be. Uh, yep. I think they were around, like, fifth in in, 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 uh, in offense last season. Uh, obviously, you know, continuing to be a 100-point team, continuing to win division titles, that sort of thing. Where you want to see what exactly his adjustments are going to be in this in, in, in this next year is on the defensive side of the puck, where yeah. I, I don't think that they were necessarily up to snuff. Um, they didn't play, you know, well enough to uh, be a championship contender again. And I'm intrigued to see what sort of adjustments or variations of, of his system he makes, uh, knowing that last year that was a hole in their game. Yeah, and it, I think it'll be interesting, too, because I, I know that Adam and I have kind of talked that you know, it's such an awkward position to be in, you know, obviously not a bad one, you know, because they won the cup the year before he took over. But, you know, I, I also have kind of speculated, you know, and it seems kind of intuitive that he might be reluctant to kind of imprint his system on a team that just won the cup. And thus, you know, the kind of idea that, you know, don't mess with a winner, you know, is kind of uh, well, the underlying theme behind it. I, I mean, it, it may be less that and more like, it's hard to imprint your system on a team that, you know, played yeah. a certain way for several years under, under one guy and won a certain way. And, you know, there's, there's always going to be a certain sense of autopilot with this capital team where they, the, the, the same group has been kept together for so long now yes. that uh, they, they know each other. They know, they know how to play. They know how to, how to play to win. Um, it's just, you know, maybe trying to knock them out of some bad habits or, or trying to get them play just a little bit differently within his system. That's the real challenge. And it's not to say that it's fallen on deaf ears. It's not to say that he's a bad coach. Yeah. I mean, there are guys in that locker room that weren't really Barry Trotz fans, right? I mean, sure. so it's, it's, it's just a process of, of trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And when you make the leap from, I remember talking to Reardon last year about this, like when you make the leap from assistant to, to head coach, the biggest adjustment is, is realizing that the buck stops with you and, and realizing that, you know, your input as an assistant was one thing. And now all of a sudden uh, you're the guy that makes the decisions and it, and it can't necessarily always be a democracy. And, uh, and it's an adjustment to make. And, you know, nobody's, nobody's the, the, you know, the most perfect coach in their first year. And I'm interested to see what he ends up being in his second year. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it'll be interesting. Um, okay. So let's transition to the Metro. Um, 
So one of the things is uh, one of the you know teams that it seems like a lot of people have been talking about is Carolina. Uh, they had I, I think maybe the best, if not you know maybe the second best off season you know in the NHL. And it seems like with Cavs Sands, we're all kind of wondering is this the year that Carolina could really compete for the division? So two part question: one, what did you think of their off season? And two, do you think that they could compete with the Caps? Uh, I think they're, they have the possibility to. I mean, you know, the, the thing about them is that their defense remains the stoutest uh, that you could find maybe in that yes. franchise's history. I mean, <laughs> yeah, even so after good. the Justin Falk trade. Yeah, I mean, it, they if they could afford to trade Justin Falk and then not miss a beat. I mean, it's yeah. pretty amazing. And, and the acquisition of Jake Gardner was a really shrewd move on their part. And, you know, they make <laughs> every yeah. acquisition they make seems to be a shrewd move with the amount of analytic uh, know-how in that front office but that's eric tulsky uh, the, i think that's as part of that order eric if i'm not tulsky, mistaken yeah yep, absolutely absolute, absolute genius for my, my pick to be to be the first guy to maybe ascend from the ranks of the analytics guys to uh to be a, a general manager one day um potentially are, are you saying so, the arizona gm isn't an analyst uh, he's young right he's so there's an interesting debate about john chaka like yeah. he he took that job and and was trumpeted as being, uh, you know, somebody born of the analytics movement, and uh, and and was the first guy to really step forward and, and and get that gig. And in some ways, Kyle Dubas had the same sort of reputation, but it also had a, a, a heck of a hockey background as well. But in Jake's case, you know, there's a lot of people within the analytics community that feel that his his background and and his uh, dedication to the craft is a bit of, of snake oil, and and so it's it's not the same thing as these guys that have come through and are, are part of the analytics departments, whether it's Tolsky, whether it's, uh, you know, the guys in Toronto, Derek Metcalf and, sure. and Cashron and, and so on and so forth. Tyler Dello now and um, Matt Kane with the Devils. There's a lot of guys that are born out of that community that I think people think are more uh, purely um, produced by the analytics movement than Chaka was, who was yeah. sort of, you know, it was a different kind of science. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you look at some of the moves that they made too, and you're, you know, the Clayton Keller contract. You're like, okay, this is not bad, but you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you know, with that core, is it, you know, is that a team that, if their core is all signed up long term, which weirdly theirs is, you know, is that a team that could really win a cup? But oh, with- Arizona, I'm not, I'm not a fan of their core. Like, yeah. I don't understand why half those guys are on long-term contracts other than simply, you know, there are guys and we're going to lock them up at a decent rate. I mean, I I just, I I feel like there's a foundation there, but I don't quite know if it's a sturdy foundation to build a championship team on, but yeah. And they already have their goalie hurt, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. But they've got other options in goal, but in Carolina's case, go back to them real quick. I mean, the real, the real intrigue there is going to be offensively. um, What kind of leap they take. I mean, Ajo's back. He's great. Tara Vinan's great. The real intrigue is going to be what uh, stretch the ends up being in year two. Yep. The anticipation is that, you know, he's going to have this amazing breakout season and, and really start to establish himself as the next, you know, great young player in this league. And if that's the case, then they could they can seriously make a, a run at the division title. But um, then you come back to the goaltending and you wonder exactly uh, what that's going to end up looking like. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like kind of a best-case scenario for their goaltending last year. And, you know, they still made the playoffs by, I think, two points. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting, you know. and well, uh, yeah, that, that and the fact that they lost their goaltending coach, Mike Bells, in the offseason. Yeah. He left because they didn't really want to pay him yeah. what he was looking for. And he went to Buffalo. And as Capitals fans know... Uh, sometimes a change in goalie coach can uh, have a deleterious effect on your goaltending. I don't know what you're talking, Mitch Corn talking. 
<laughs> That's uh, yeah. Um, no, I agreed, agreed. And uh, I think they lost Curtis McElhaney, who randomly had a really good year last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how they can recover from that. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that I'm really excited to ask you about, uh, I know you're an avowed New Jersey Devils fan and uh, a avowed not New York Rangers fan. Um, is this, you know, is, is Hughes and Kako going to be the next Crosby Ovechkin? Kind of, uh, that's obviously a huge bar to reach, but I'm kind of wondering, you know, one, just how excited are, are you for those games? And two, you know, are either one of those teams going to be, you know, any good? Are they, you know, it seems like they're probably quite a few steps away from challenging for a division crown, but, you know, like possibly a wild card could be in the, in the cards for one of them. Yeah, I think the Devils are close to a wild card. Um, you know, I, I, it, a great, it greatly matters how um, Hughes performs as a rookie. I think, you know, with Heischer and Hall, if Hall's healthy, they, they know what they've got in that top line with Palmieri um, if he plays them. The, the real intrigue is what, what Jack Hughes gives them um, in that position, you know, behind Heischer, uh, most likely playing with Nikita Gusev. You know, there's a lot of good on that roster. Um, and there's a lot of interesting depth on that roster. Uh, it's not there in the goaltending where they're going to have to hope that Corey Schneider and Mackenzie Blackwood can eke out enough to potentially make a playoff uh, seed. But um, with Subban there and, and with just, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of like emotion, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a matter of like the vibe. It's a matter of like this positive wave that kind of crashes over a, a franchise at the right time. And, you know, if they get things rolling a little bit and they get off to a decent start, it, it can kind of build a little bit. So, I mean, Jersey a lot more than the Rangers, I think, are closer to the playoffs. But um, like I've said many times, like <laughs> the minute that the Devils got the first pick in the draft and the Rangers got the second pick in the draft, it was pretty obvious that whoever the Devils didn't take was going to, you know, become you're not like a bad position to be in if you're the Rangers, right? You know, with the no, the, the, too. your future is made for you. And like, you know, the, the, the skeptic in me is is uh, scared to death that the uh, Hughes isn't going to be the player that Kako ends up being, you know, and then the Devils will have made the wrong decision and yeah. and all that stuff. So it's it's a uh, it's it's a pain. It's a fun time for a Devils fan uh, and a stressful time for a Devils fan to um, have this whole thing happening across the river right now, where the Rangers are, are clearly going to be are going to be really good, uh, maybe even by by next year. Um, but uh, still probably need one more year to kind of get things rolling over there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it'll be interesting. Um, one team in the Metro that I can't make heads or tails of is what the Flyers did this offseason. Um, it seems like they wanted to acquire a bit every team's, you know, defenseman that they didn't seem to want and took a lot of salary to do so. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, both uh, Justin Braun and, uh, to be capital-centric here, Matt Niskanen. So... I, I don't know what to make of the Flyers this year. Obviously, they have, you know, Drew and Voracek and some very good talent, you know, and uh, yeah, they were able to lock Prokhorov up for a decent amount. But I, I don't know what to make of this team. Do you? No, I don't. And and the one thing that's really intriguing about him is the fact that when Elaine Vigneault takes over teams, it's usually a, a pretty immediate increase in yeah. success. Uh, so that's kind of the X factor there. The other X factor is what Carter Hart gives them. I mean, if Hart is every bit as good as, as he's looked at times during this preseason um, and, you know, actually pull off the miracle of miracles, which is to have a strong goaltending season in Philadelphia. I don't, that, uh, that can't then, happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> then, then they might be all right. I mean, they've got a lot of talent up front. Uh, yeah. Like you said, some questions, question marks on D um, but, uh, but an interesting team, an intriguing team, uh, one that I can't quite figure out what they're going to end up being yet. 
Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Um, so, all right, uh, one non-Metro question, and then we're going to take a break, talk some cap stuff, and talk some other stuff. Um, is there one team hockey-wide that, you know, is going to surprise people from a positive and a negative standpoint? Like, what are some teams that you're kind of, you know, like, this is a team that I think is actually pretty good that might, might you know, catch a couple people off guard and, you know, vice versa? Do you mean in the league or in the Yeah, league-wide, just not in the Metro. Uh, pretty good, but people don't know they're good. Um, Vancouver is one that I think is sort of intriguing. Um, again, like good young core. Uh, they've got some supporting pieces that I like a little bit yeah. more than others do. Like I think the JT Miller move, people kind of freaked out about that because they gave up a first round pick and that's definitely an overpayment, but he's a good player. Um, if they get some goaltending, uh, offensively, they're, they're going to be pretty good. And I really like their coach. Yeah. So that might be a team that catches some people off guard. Uh, a team that I think might be overrated a bit. Uh, um, I like Dallas. I like. Uh, I mean, everybody's down on Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, Man, talk about a rough off season, huh? I guess maybe Calgary. Like Cal- Calgary yeah. to me is is a house of cards just because of their goaltending situation right now. Yeah. You know, with uh, with uh, with uh, Dave Rich and and Cam Talbot. Um, I think they're a good team. I think they're loaded. They're very, very loaded, obviously, on the blue line. They've got some really nice pieces offensively. Uh, but two lines, a deep blue line, and, and really questionable goaltending uh, for a coach that I'm still not exactly the biggest fan of. So I would, I would say Calgary would be the one that I'm kind of iffy on out there. Okay, great. Uh, all right, well, uh, we're going to take a quick break here and uh, get back on the other side. Welcome back uh, to Jaber's Rink Radio. Uh, still he- joined here by Greg Wyshynski. So we're going to talk a couple of Caps things. Um, and I'm going to start with a really kind of big overall Capitals question. Um, can Ovi keep this up? You know, is obviously, you know, eventually Ovechkin is going to stop scoring 48 to 50 goals a year. Do you think that's this year? You know, It seems kind of folly to ever bet against Alex Ovechkin. But one of these years, he's got to decline, right? I mean, you'd, you'd think that, uh, <laughs> although that year may end up being when he's 40. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's yeah. funny. We were going through our, like, uh, fantasy hockey prognostications and trying to figure out where we would rank different players. And I just don't know how you bet against the guy. I mean, yeah. you know, every every time you want to write him off, um, he he shows up to camp. He, he looks great and uh, and just shows that uh, the shot and, and the uh, – the, force with which he plays hasn't waned a bit uh, even as he's gotten older so I still think that he's odds on to to win the Richard I mean I just think that he's still a next level yeah. goal scorer and he's just going to keep doing it I mean the the carrot in front of him I mean he knows what it is it's the it's the potential to be uh the highest goal scorer in the history of the National Hockey League and to one day pass Wayne Gretzky yeah which as a Russian kid must be the greatest thing that's ever oh, yeah. ever been in his sights. I mean, absolutely. Now that he's got the cup, and now and, and you know, and all this other stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that, uh, um, you know, that that could be a, a goal in mind for him. Yeah, and maybe we can get the Penguins to retire his number, like uh, they they had to do with, or like all the teams in the NHL had to do with Wayne Gretzky. That's Precisely. The dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, Ovechkin obviously remarkable. The Caps do have a couple of players uh, that are pending UFAs uh, in Nicholas Backstrom and Braden Holpe. It seems like in the Caps community, pretty much everyone to a T, me included, uh, has suggested that they seem very likely to re-sign um, Nicholas Backstrom. And 
decently unlikely to sign uh, to get the Hopi deal done. So kind of wondering, is that where you are with this? You know, and uh, if so, you know, what do you kind of do you think there's any, you know, potential locations where Hopi could go? You know, what kind of salary do you think they're each going to kind of be looking at? So why do you, why do Caps fans think that Holpi's not going to stay? So I you know I think that you look at the cap and Holpi's probably so Holpi's making six point one. It's actually good because I just wrote this article uh, today. Um, Holpi's looking at probably a two to three million dollar raise, if not maybe a little more. And uh, so the Caps' top prospect is uh, Elias Sansonov, who right, yeah. you know is. I'm still under, I'm still divided on and oh boy that's quite a big risk to immediately throw him in next year if he's you know even slightly not ready particularly given that the Capitals are a team that really needs to you know make a run right now given the age of their core so you know that's the one thing but you just you, you do the math and it's really tough there's not a ton of obvious dead weight on the capital salary cap so you know that's going to be something that you know I think it's going to be a little tricky you know you look at maybe a TJ Oshie as someone who's a little overpaid but there's not a ton of dead weight and so I think it's tough for Castians to see where that you know kind of two to three million extra on the room comes from particularly given if the uh, kind of Chris Johnson report is true that the NHL might not actually raise the salary cap again next year which is crazy to me but who knows um so, so that's kind of where we're at and Whereas Backstrom, you kind of look at it, and I did the uh, I did the kind of numbers, you know, uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, you look at it. Maybe he's due for a slight, you know, slight downgrade on the Duchesne contract, you know, getting eight mil a year or so, and uh, you know, then in in which case, you know, that's only I think a you know million or so above his AAV, and that maybe is a little easier to fit in. So I think as a capstan, that's kind of our perspective. Right, yeah, no, and that makes sense, um, and, and especially like you said, with with the kid in the um, in in the system to potentially usurp him. I, I do wonder if there's a path to some kind of a contract with him where maybe he takes the comfortability of term and, and maybe yeah. takes a little bit off the cap. I mean, he's he's definitely a guy that that, that you know has grown up in the organization and loves being with the team, and um, you know there's going to be opportunities for him out there, but. Uh, as, as I often say, people like to stay where their stuff is. Yeah. <laughs> and Braden Holtby is now, you know, raising a family and he's got a whole thing going on. So it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, I do think that there needs to be some level of stopgap, you know, at least for the next couple of seasons until they would potentially turn the crease over to Samson off, right? Sure, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what direction they take that and uh, whether at the end of the day they feel like when you have Ovechkin at his age and Baxter at his age, um, that, you know, there's still very much a, an opportunity to win now and, and whether or not Holtby provides a uh, exponentially better chance at that than, uh, than a kid learning the ropes in the NHL. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of an interesting and open question, you know, and I think that, yeah, we talk about the window. And, I mean, the Capitals' window is undoubtedly right now. And so, you know, if, if you sign Holtby to maybe a longer-term deal than you would want, you know, that could still maybe be worth it, you know, even if in year five or six, maybe that contract isn't looking good. So that, that kind of, that makes sense to me, at least, uh, you know, from a, you know, kind of window maximization perspective. Right. But at the same time, I mean, the last, the last, you know, elite goaltender that hit the open market just pulled $10 million a season yeah. out of the Florida Panthers. So, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's something to be said for his availability and, and, uh, and, you know, obviously, um, you know, a guy with a cup ring as well. So yeah. I'm sure there'd be suitors for him, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, as there should be, right? You know, I think that 
I I think I'm kind of on the, you know, hey man, get paid bandwagon, you know, even if it's my my player, because, you know, I think you look at the kind of ownership disparity of things, you know, and how much power they have, particularly given a hard salary cap. And I mean, hey man, get paid. Yeah, for yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, okay, so one of the things um, I'll slightly plug your uh, Puck Soup podcast. So I'm a Patreon subscriber to that. You actually had some positive thoughts on the uh, Radko Gudis uh, for Matt Niskanen swap. Uh, I mean, certainly an upgrade for the Capitals in terms of the name of the player. Uh, Radko Gudis, <laughs> I continue to think, is a you know is actually secretly a mid '80s you know supervillain possibly uh that's the kind of name for it but uh also maybe plays like one too um but uh you know kind of curious you know you you seem to like the trade uh you know what are your kind of thoughts on that oh i do i I think that gudis is a is a defenseman that a lot of people just sort of underrate because of all of the goonish tendencies and liberties (laughs) he takes with with people i mean um there's no question that that's a part of his game and 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 frankly as as capitals fans know when it comes to a guy like uh, like uh, Tom Wilson, it, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world to have on your roster when yeah. you, when you have somebody you can put the fear of God in somebody. Uh, you know, last year was an okay year for Gudis. I think he's had better seasons, um, but he's he's never a liability. Uh, he, he can have a positive influence on uh, on his teammates on the ice defensively, and uh, I like the upgrade only and especially because at this point Niskanen was a you know deteriorating asset. Yes. Uh, so you you get out from that deal and you bring in Gudis and uh, I like I like the trade. I mean I, I I understand why there's some trepidation about it, but I like I like the trade. Yeah, I, I think it I think it seemed to make sense. I know I wrote it up for Japers Ring pretty quickly after it happened, and uh, yeah, I mean Gudis is one of those interesting players that he might be a defensive defenseman that actually defends things. Um, there's a lot of D's in there, but you know I think you kind of look at the archetypical you know NHL defensive defenseman. And there's a lot of thought that, you know, oh, it's, you know, they're kind of plodding and slow. And for the Capitals, we had Carl Walsner, who really kind of deteriorated toward the end of it. Yeah. But Gudis might actually be good at suppressing shots. And, uh, oh boy, Matt Niskanen was not last year. That uh, that pair of him and Orlov is uh, really, really struggled. And I think it was kind of the root cause of a lot of the Capitals' struggles defensively. So, you know, I think right. it'll be interesting to see, you know, where Gudis plays in the lineup, and uh, yeah, I agree. It, it seemed to make a lot of sense as a trade. Yeah, it's be fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a category of here called other stuff. Uh, <laughs> so uh, just a few quick questions here. Um, one of the things that, and I will shout out JP, who wanted me to ask this question, is uh, so you used to be obviously on Puck Daddy, and you were on the uh, yeah, very famous and uh, very influential Merrick versus Wyshynski podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that got me excited about podcasting. So Aww, there you go. Nice. Um, I always like to hear that. Hundred percent true. Um, and uh, yeah, so I kind of wondering. You know, it seems like there's been an increased kind of establishment of you know alternative media sources and getting legitimacy of it. You know, I look at. Even just ESPN, that you guys have Dmitry Filipovich writing for you regularly. We have a lot of you know analytics guys in the front offices now. We might have one of our first one of those become a GM at some point or become really high up. I'm kind of wondering, you know, it seems like five years ago that transition was really in earnest. Would you say it's cemented or there's still ways to go in terms of both the analytics community and kind of alternative voices finding their way in hockey? Um, I, I think it's cemented in the sense that it's now become almost uh, an accepted part of every front office. They have to have an analytics department. 
uh, and the teams that, that have them thrive. And, and uh, it's no longer just seen as uh, waving your hand and saying, hey, look, we're playing with numbers. It's now seen as a vital part of, of the business. And, and, you know, you look no, no further than Seattle yeah. uh, for that sort of thing that's happening where, you know, they're boastful about the analytics um, ads that they've made in their in their front office and and how they're going to be smart about using th- that uh, that math to figure out their team. And, you know, it's only going to get better once we have puck and player tracking um, and, you know, a technology that actually works to get hard data for everybody to use. And that's going to help the fans develop more things on how to analyze hockey. It's going to help the teams get better data on their players. Um, so there's no going back. Um, but as far as the media goes, I mean, it's, you know, J- JP and I used to know each other. We, we first sort of know, knew each other um, on the Capitals beat when Ted Leone just let all the blogs into the press box back in the day uh, yep. in the wild, wild west back before the Caps got good. And then he kind of, maybe thought differently about the blogs. Um, <laughs> yep, and, yep. Uh, you know, we came up on AOL Fan House together back in like 2007, 2008. And uh, it was a different world back then. I mean, I, I, I kind of mourn the fact that there aren't more independent sources for analysis as there were back in the day when the blogs were just first starting. Not to throw shade at SB Nation. I mean, it's great. And, and I'm happy those blogs have a home. But you know, there was a time when every team seemed to have you know four or five different people writing about them, either on their own blogspot sites or, or wherever. You know, and it yeah. was it was a really cool time, especially as someone like me who would you know read read a bunch of stuff every day and kind of um, bring all those different voices under the same tent to comment on the news of the day. And so we've had this sort of consolidation of of that. You know, where the athletic is. You know, gobbled up so many beat writers and, you know, they're all sort of commenting on each other. And, you know, me and Emily are at ESPN, the NHL.com people are there all together and and uh, and so on and so forth. So I, I, I sort of lament the fact that there isn't uh, as many voices um, and a variety of voices uh, that are now commenting on on the game as there were maybe like 10 years ago. It's not to say that the coverage isn't great and it's not to say that um we've all gotten smarter with it and, and maybe yeah. it's a better world when you have more professionals doing the gig than, you know, some guy ranting about the caps as a fanboy on their, you know, spare time. But that was entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, and so I, and, I, and Twitter I, somehow I, seems I kinda, so kinda, much kinda, worse than miss, that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I kind of miss the, uh, the wild, wild west of, of that form of, of, uh, alternative digital yeah. sports media. Um, but you know, everybody grows up and, uh, and that's kind of, I think where it all went, yeah. <laughs> well that, and, and the fact that the industry just changed and, uh, eventually they saw the value in, in acquiring all of us to do uh, professional big boy things. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, on top of that also, it's obviously very hard to make money about writing about hockey on the internet. <laughs> um, so, sure. Yeah, oh I mean, yeah. I mean, the economic situation changed completely. It, it, it changed completely too. That's yeah. for sure. And, uh, and, um, you know, yeah. The cool, the one cool thing, like you said about the podcast, like when me and Merrick were doing MVSW, there we were not, uh, there was not a flood of other podcasts in the marketplace, which you know benefited us in the sense that we were you know doing something that no one else was really doing at the time. Uh, that's one place where I'm really happy about the growth is that there's so many different podcasts, oh yeah, so many different voices and so many different um, specific subjects being covered, uh, whether it's women's hockey or international hockey or or things of that nature. I mean, it, really anything that you want to have and listen to a conversation about, um, you can find 
that podcast now for uh, the hockey world. And, and that's that's a really uh, positive and impressive expansion of the media landscape. Yeah, that's really cool. All right. Um, couple of smaller random things. Um, I was asked uh, to ask you, um, again, this is another JP, and I think Kevin Klein asked this one. Um, if you, so you lived in D.C. for a decent while. If you went to the University of Maryland undergrad, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what is a D.C. food that you miss? Or is there <laughs> any? I was a big, um, I was a big California tortilla fan when I lived there. And I know that CalTort has gone through some, I think, um, pullback. I know the one that was, yeah. that was open right across from, um, the arena, like went away a few years ago, but I was a huge fan of that burrito place. Now granted, maybe not so much now that I'm in San Jose and I can get, I was like, going to say, yeah, place. you're like, yeah, San, I mean, San Jose is, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, but it's, but it was my favorite joint, man. I loved going there. They, it was the first place that I ever had, um, a lot of really great, um, hot sauces and, uh, their Buffalo chicken burrito was great. And, yeah. Their, uh, their um, um, chips and queso were really great. And it was a place where, when I was living in um, Ashburn, yeah, they opened up one. And uh, I got to be one of the first five people in line. I got up at like 4.30 in the morning oh, Jesus. Um, to be one of the first five people in line. And I got a free burritos, one one per week for a year, for being one of the five people in line. Oh, for I had no Delport. idea about that. That's wild. Yeah, it was awesome. So, yeah, yeah I, I missed that. And then... Um, what other food thing? I mean, like I missed a few, a couple of the restaurants that I used to, I used to haunt back yeah. in the day. Um, like, um, Rose's luxury uh, yeah. was a, a, a real solid place. And, uh, I mean, I live in Alexandria for a year. So there's a few of the places there that I, I, I try to hit up when I'm in town, like sure. Hank's Oyster Bar yeah. and uh, a few of the others, but yep. it's, it's changed a lot. And, and the one thing that I find interesting about the DC dining scene now is how many places, that I went to in New York are like there now. Like, yeah, it, it tripped me out the first time I was, I was at, uh, at the arena and then like looked across the street and like the Smith is there now, which yes. was a place that I used to go to a lot in New York. And it was kind of weird, but, yeah. um, but that's always kind of been a defining part of the DC dining scene too. Yeah. I think it's kind of a defining part of DC in general is, you know, still kind of moving <laughs> in and out a little bit. Yeah, uh, for sure. no, no shade at all thrown to you there, obviously. But, uh, but anyways, um, so, all right, I'm gonna, uh, I got a one, uh, one question from, uh, Jason Martin, uh, which is if you had one day with the Stanley cup, what would you do with it? Oh, I would, I would take it. I would, I would do the, um, there, that, there, there's that commercial where those guys flip over the, uh, the flower pot and the casino in, in Vegas and then parade it around like it's a soccer yes. trophy. Oh like, yeah, yeah. I would I would take the thing to Vegas lickety split, and yeah. I would go. I would use it as a skeleton key to get me into every place I couldn't go otherwise. <laughs> High roller rooms, clubs. Yeah. I mean the back rooms of restaurants, like every single place that a person like me can't access. Uh, I will I will I will get access to it with the the cup Perfect. and it would probably be in Vegas yeah I mean how great was it that Alex Ovechkin won the cup in Vegas you know it seems like yeah, that was right? like exactly. the perfect confluence of bizarre things to happen at once precisely yeah, yeah. so it, was de- it would definitely be in Vegas yeah awesome all right um I'm gonna cheat with my second to last question which is uh in your puck soup mailbag you asked uh you were asked a question of what question were you? Would you wish you had more in your podcast? Um, so I am a big mystery science theater three thousand person. You obviously are. Your uh, kind of Twitter biopic hasn't changed. I think pretty much since you took that one. So that is correct. You know, yeah. give me give me like uh, maybe a couple of episodes that are your favorites. I know that 
I'm kind of a traditionalist in the uh, Manos Hands of Fate being probably my favorite one, but uh, mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of the new stuff I think was pretty good too. So I'm kind of curious where you fall yeah, in that range. Yeah, a lot of the new stuff was pretty good. Um, and I, I would suggest binging a few of them on Netflix. The ones that Jonah uh, Ray has done are, are pretty good. Yeah. Um, and the writing, the writing is really strong in them too. So yes. I think that's really the issue for me. Uh, ones that I love that a lot of people overlook, uh, Warrior of the Lost World, which was a post-apocalyptic oh, yeah. motorcycle movie. It actually, I think, was the one right after um, Manos that they did. And I absolutely adore that. It's it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And it's just right on my wavelength. And, and just the perfect sort of dissection of, of 1980s uh, excess and ridiculousness. Uh, teenage... Um, uh, teenage Strangler? No, no, not Teenage Strangler. Um, oh, what the hell was it called? It was uh, about. It was about. Uh, maybe it was Teenage Strangler. Um, huh. About a murder in a high school or, or some such, and uh, it's just nonsensical stuff. Um, yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff, man, and I, I and and I I feel uh, lucky that I was able to grab a lot of the um, box sets yes. uh, of stuff in order to make sure that I had it in case things disappear here and there. Oh, um, you know, everybody knows um, Space Mutiny, but there was one from the same season that was uh, Prince of Space, which was a um, Japanese sci-fi film uh, dubbed and positively ridiculous. Uh, So those are just a few of of my favorite ones that are sort of a little bit off the radar. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it it is a show that I've I've said many times. It... uh, formed my my sense of humor and uh and in in a way that in the way that it uh it didn't stop to explain the jokes yeah and so to this day nothing nothing makes me happier than uh to be on uh, twitter or, or to be writing and, and to make a joke or to make a reference and have somebody come back to me saying i didn't know what this means but now i get it and that's a really clever thing to say yeah you know because i i feel like there's too much I think there's a lot of hesitancy today in, in writing and, and in comedy to over-explain the joke or to make the reference more obvious or to, to kind of insult the intelligence of your audience that they're not going to be on that wavelength or not put in the time to be on that wavelength. And so, yeah. you know, you can see that probably the most in the podcast that I do, that I just don't really care if you don't know the obscure player we're talking about, go, go find out. Google go it. Find, yeah. yeah. Go, go, fi- go find out, you know, the, the wit and whimsy of Claude Lemieux, you know, it's like, yes. it's, it's, uh, if, if, you know, if you do, then you're going to enjoy it better. And, yeah. and if, and if I can lead people to, you know, learn a thing or two while also, you know, chuckling along, then I'm doing my job. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Sean McAdoo, who I know is your co-host kind of does that with NHL players, you know, he's very, uh, yeah, you know, he's had so many Sean, stories about Sean it. Sean hasn't learned anything since no. maybe like 2008. So I mean, <laughs> that's part of the issue is that, you know, it's, and it's been really fun in this incarnation of Puck Soup to explore that in the sense that like, you know, Ryan and I are both children of pop culture and then Sean, I, you know, the last movie he saw in theaters might have been The Goonies. So I mean, like, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's an it's an interesting juxtaposition when that stuff comes up. There you go, there you go. All right, uh, so we're at we're at forty five minutes. So uh, I'm gonna let you out here real quick, uh, Greg. Um, the the final question I have because I always love asking just writers in general this question: What's one good thing that you've read lately? It doesn't. It could be hockey. It can be. It doesn't have to be hockey. What's something good lately that you've read? Oh man! Um, it could be a news article. It could be a book. Whatever. 
Oh, I read a ton of books uh, during the the summer. Um, I, I, I tend I tend to not read hockey books during the summer, probably just for the because uh, it's just too much, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am. I'm. Cur- I'll tell you what I'm currently reading. I'm currently reading um, Ladies Who Punch, which is the uh, history of the View, um, ah. the the ABC talk show. Hell yeah. uh, and it's it's pretty great. And and, and it, it wound up being kind of a uh, an interesting summer for that type of book. I also read uh, Brian Stelter's old book on the um, morning news wars between the Today Show and and Good Morning America and, oh, yeah, and I saw stuff. That. Yeah, yeah, and it's a few years old, and, yeah. and it's kind of a weird read now because it covers. Matt Lauer in a way that doesn't really cover Matt Lauer, you know. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but but to have that sort of exist in, in in the same summer as reading this book on the View uh, was an was an interesting kind of glimpse at the business and and the stuff on the View is just great. Like it's just cat fighty, backbiting political. Rosie O'Donnell is uh, losing her mind, kind yeah. of kind of stuff. So it's right up my alley as far as um, a combination of, of drama and, and sort of media consumption. Perfect. But uh, I'm a constant reader. I always read, I try to read a lot. I, I, I try to bring a book on the road. I'm not a Kindle guy. I'm a sort of hardcover book guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it, you know, I, I got away from it for a while just because I was reading so much during the day, yeah. but since the ESPN gig is a little bit better paced as far as um, amount of output of, of stories on a daily basis, I can kind of like take a little break here and there and, and feed my brain a little bit. That's the dream. That's the dream. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, yeah, it's, uh, I was going to say, I uh, finally, hopefully finished taking, I'm knocking on wood here. I took the bar exam uh, a few weeks ago and uh, I am kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten back into reading more normally, which has been, uh, it's been pretty good. So uh, I, nice. uh, yeah, definitely. It's uh, I think always good. Uh, I was trying to tell aspiring writers. I'm sure you say the same thing, which is, uh, the more you read, the better you write. It's just really that simple, you know. And uh, yeah, and it, for sure. And, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, th- that's the huge key. And then the other key is, uh, don't just stay in your lane when you yes. read. I mean, read it, read everything, read stuff that makes you angry, read stuff you disagree with, read stuff from different genres. I was just lamenting to somebody the other day when I was on the road that um, I don't I don't feel like sports writers really trade enough notes with each other when it comes to how to do this job. Yeah. Um, I think hockey writers talk to hockey writers, but you know, I was having some conversations recently with people from other, other sports and uh, people from other genres of journalism. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this, this is nice. Like, I don't feel like there's enough note trading amongst, uh, amongst people in the industry on how to do stuff. And, and maybe that that's my, uh, uh, quasi New Year's resolution is to do more of that. There you go. There you go. Well, I guess, uh, working for ESPN definitely has its perks there. Um, <laughs> yeah, indeed. All right, Greg, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, plug some stuff. Uh, where can where can people find your writing, and uh, what have you been up to lately? Yeah, it's uh, Matt Wyshynski on Twitter, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Uh, you can pretty much find all the stuff that I write there. I tweet it out uh, you know, when I when my stuff appears on ESPN.com. Uh, there's two uh, podcasts. I have Puck Soup with uh, Ryan Lambert and Sean McIndoe, uh, a.k.a. Dan Goes Brown, who uh, that publishes or drops every week. And then we also have, like you mentioned, the Patreon where you can get uh, four mailbags and two bonus episodes for five bucks, five bucks a month. And then me and Emily Kaplan are uh, firing up ESPN on ice again, uh, the first week of the season. So watch out for that. Um, love doing the show with her. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a real fun season um, with some new features and, and things like that and, and new opportunities. So 
uh, lots of stuff happening for your boy, but uh, but it's all good, and I appreciate all your support. No problem, no problem. All right, well, uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Japers Rank Radio. You can uh, write uh, write a review on uh, iTunes, listen, you know, review and subscribe, and all that kind of jazz. And uh, Greg, just thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. Appreciate all right, it. Have a good one.